survey asked people about anger. Anger. And nearly half of the respondents, Americans, said that they're angrier than they were the year before. 84% say that Americans are angrier today than they were a generation ago. I don't know if your life experience would bear that out, but I, I'm not surprised by those numbers and people's experiences. Because it feels like, in many ways, we're invited into anger everywhere and all the time. Everywhere and all the time, we're invited into angry spaces. Perhaps angry spaces of our own making or environments that we enter into that are clouded with anger. Often anger is embraced as a thrill ride. It's almost like the playground. Uh, remember in middle school, uh, there, there all of a sudden was a buzz going through the student body one day. Because Monty and Donald were going to have a fight after school. They were so mad at each other, and everybody knew where the fight was happening, what time it was going to be, and I was one of about 50 kids that walked the nearly three blocks to the space where they had it out. Because there was an exciting factor to this anger that had overwhelmed them. Doctors tell us that there are physical effects to anger. The adrenal glands flood the body with stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. The brain begins to shunt blood in the midst of anger from our gut area and putting it, pumping it into our muscles to get us ready for physical exertion. The heart rate goes up, the blood pressure goes up, breathing increases. Un, unprocessed anger leads to all sorts of physical problems like headaches, digestion issues, insomnia, depression, heart attacks, and strokes have all been linked to unresolved Anger. It feels like anger is practiced in almost every every part of our life. Social media, 9 out of 10 of that same survey, 9 out of 10 people said that others were more likely to express anger in social media than they were in person. That's probably been true in your experience as well. Politics, my goodness, politics. It seems like there's so much anger in politics leading to name-calling and demonizing another person that doesn't think just the way I might think and then ultimately dehumanizing that person and it leads to all sorts of other things. I was listening about a fundraiser, a national level fundraiser who raises all sorts of money for his organization was asked once, how, do you, how are you so successful at raising all of this money? And he said, well, it's really quite easy. You, you just find an entity and you talk a lot about them and the money just pours in. <laughs> I can't think of a more terrible approach to life. It may be effective at fundraising, but what a terrible approach to life. Anger. Anger is an issue that has been an issue in the human race from the dawn of time. But, but, Jesus wants something different for you. Jesus wants something better for us. As we open up the Sermon on the Mount again today, remember that the Sermon on the Mount is given to us by Jesus. These three chapters in Matthew, given really as the, the core, the essential thing that Jesus taught. And this is what it is. We need to think about the Sermon on the Mount as a training manual for how to live life in God's kingdom of love. How to live life in God's kingdom of love. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. If you have your Bibles, would you open them please to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 21. Matthew 
Matthew 5, verse 21. Let's hear from Jesus. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakah, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you are not, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus reminds us, he begins by reminding us that murder is bad. Would you agree? <laughs> Murder's bad! We know that! But that's not its topic today, because Jesus moves beyond and more deeply than murder. Jesus wants to take us to the very root of what would end up in murder. And it's this idea of unresolved anger. Having anger dwelling in a heart that is unresolved. It is a destructive force, like a wildfire. We know what those are like in Northern California, don't we, these days? A fire that rages hot. And burns out of control. That's what anger can be and is for many. And in fact, most of our experiences of anger are more of this, not that they're always wildfires, but they're usually this destructive quality of anger. And it leads to a scorched pathway of destruction. When Jesus talks about this idea of judgment, and he talks about being liable in front of the court, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin court, uh, or uh, the fire of hell, might have been your translation, but the word used there literally is Gehenna. And it's this idea of talking about the destructive consequence of unresolved anger. Gehenna is a word, it's, a, it's actually a geographic space to the south of Jerusalem. And it, it was told in the Old Testament that this was the place where sacrifices would be offered. Often children were sacrificed in this space, into the fire, the Bible says. And what a grotesque act that was. In the time of Jesus, it had become a trash dump that seemed to be perpetually burning to consume the garbage as an incinerator in that space. So Jesus is pointing out the destructive and consuming quality of anger in your heart if it goes unresolved. It is what destroys friendships and dissolves marriages. Anger decays churches and diseases societies. You see, anger is the machinery of death. Anger housed in the recesses of the heart. It's often revealed through our words Certainly our attitudes. He mentions one, this rakah is an Aramaic word. Literally it was a cuss word that uh, would speak something like, you're, you're good for nothing, you're empty-headed. It was, it was an intentional insult. Or the, 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 the spewing out, you fool, was likely a response of being so overcome in a moment of anger that it flashes up and you speak without thinking. Have you ever been there? I sure have. 
which instantly you can take those words that it is a destructive reality. You see, unresolved anger is the pathway to neglect, to abuse, to hatred, and to death and destruction. Here's what I think Jesus is guiding us in today. Don't let anger loiter. Don't let anger loiter. I remember as a young boy going to a, a place, a, a convenience store, and I remember being there, and I'd go there a lot, and I, I began to notice the sign that said no loitering. And I didn't even know, I couldn't even pronounce the word, so uh, I didn't certainly know what it meant. So when I found out what no loitering meant, I thought, well, that's dumb. Are we supposed to come here to shop? That's dumb. They don't want us to hang out here? That's dumb. And then I began to feel and realize that, that at that space, there had been fights in the parking lot. There had been vandalism around the building. There had been all sorts of things. And so the property owner was like, no, no loitering. Come here and do your business and go home. Here's what I think Jesus is telling us today. Is that we need to think about and learn to practice putting over our heart a no loitering sign for anger. That you will work with Jesus to let anger be uprooted out of your life, out of your heart, so that it does not result in the destructive consequence that we know that it can. So Jesus, I think, is pointing us to some internal qualities of anger and some interpersonal realities of anger. I want to start with the internal things because God always wants us to focus on our hearts because God is not in the behavior management business. Did you know that? God is not a divine psychologist. God is less interested in managing your behavior. What he's most interested in is shaping your heart. Because he knows if he can get a hold of your heart, the rest of your life is in right alignment with him. And so anger, I think Jesus is inviting us to recognize, that, or to be able to learn to recognize anger when it is beginning to well up in you. It is supposed to be a warning signal in your life. Not a pleasant sound, is it? Most of us don't like anger. Most of us don't like sitting and recognizing anger in us, but it is a warning system of sorts. It is Anger is, sometimes it tells us that there's something wrong in the world that needs correcting. We, we recognize some sort of injustice and anger at times. In the face of that injustice, God will work in that anger, and he will use that to motivate us to step into being part of the change. And as Christians, we are called to step with Jesus and to activate change with Jesus, hand-in-hand with him as we go forward. There's a righteous sense of anger. But that's not primarily what Jesus is talking about here. Also, the warning bell. When you recognize anger in your life, it, it can tell you that a relationship needs mending. It might tell you there's been a disruption in this relationship, a wound, a fracture, some abuse... And God is calling you and recognizing that anger to work with Jesus in healing and reconciliation. That's my last time doing that. <laughs> anger, when you recognize it in your heart, most often what Jesus is aiming at here is a warning that something in your heart needs adjusting. Something in your heart needs adjusting. Something 
is wrong inside of me. This is our most common experience. Even on very early pages of the Bible, we encounter anger. Immediately after the fall in the Garden of Eden, remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Adam and Eve, they, they decide that life with God is not as preferred to, as being living life on their own, so they turn away from God, right? Adam and Eve had children. Two of them were brothers, Cain and Abel. You remember the story probably in Genesis chapter 4. An episode happens, Cain is very angry at his brother. God meets him and he says, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And do you know what happens next? Cain invites his brother out to the field. He did not master and rule over his anger, but he allowed his anger to rule over him. Jesus wants you to allow him to help you recognize your anger, the anger that is destructive, the anger that does not lead to good, and he wants to work with you in that to remove that from you. President Dwight Eisenhower. He struggled with anger big time. In fact, he had a nickname. He was so known for his angry outbursts. He was known as the Big Bang. <laughs> How would you like that as a descriptor of you? That would be crazy. If he had such explosive anger. In fact, he would gather his staff around him. And he'd say, look, I, I have this explosive anger issue. And if it ever happens, we're going to try to work through it. He would just try to be really frank. But as he continued to grow, he, he sought to tame that anger. He was the only president to be baptized in the Christian faith while in office. And he said that anger cannot win. It cannot even think clearly. Anger cannot win. It cannot even think clearly. Have you known that? been in such a rage that you can't even think? Well, this was a pattern of his life. The Big Bang. When he was angry, as he tried to tame his anger, he began a new practice. When he was angry with somebody, he would write the name on a piece of paper, and he would take that piece of paper and he would drop it in the drawer of his desk, and he would close that drawer. And that, for him, was a way of releasing that person. And the anger that had the possibility to take root in his heart, and it's his way of dealing with that. God wants to deal internally with your anger. He wants to deal with your heart. He wants to shape your heart. It's not about behavior management. It's about letting Jesus shape your heart so that you can be more like Jesus. But then there's an interpersonal component. Because what so often happens in our lives, especially as Christians, is that we think that if, if we just pray about it and God has touched our heart, then, then things are right with me. But God says that's not always enough. Because sometimes our anger has led to a disruption in this relationship. And so we need to take steps to interpersonally connect Here's what Jesus is saying in these last two examples, I think. This is the Bryce paraphraser, right? Are you ready? It's really messed up to honor religion and to dishonor your relationships. There you go. It is really messed up to be so focused on religious practices and acts without very little concern about the relationships in your life. Does that make sense to you? 
That, I think, is boiling down what Jesus says. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Here's what Jesus is calling you to. It's to let loose out of your life, to let flow from your life, the conciliatory spirit that God has already dealt with you in, and to let go that conciliatory spirit into the relationships that you have. You see, the Bible tells us that we were once at odds with God. And God, out of His great mercy, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because uh, we're just so wonderful, in spite of that, Jesus took the first step to come to reconcile you to Himself, not counting men's sins against them, but He still died for you. He took the first step to bring reconciliation between you and God, between me and God. And once that, that reality of God's reconciling work, once you've understood that, that, that you were separated from Him, that your personal sin prevents you from knowing God, and you turn from that, this reconciling reality of Jesus in you and you in Him, now you're filled with this reconciliation spirit. And so when you enter into your relationships, God desires for you to unleash, not rage, to unleash, not anger, to uncork, uh, to open a big old can on somebody. That's not what He wants you to unleash. He wants you to let loose this conciliatory spirit by which God has already interacted with you. Does that make sense? This is what He's after for us. Because this is His guidebook. This is His training manual for us about how to live in God's kingdom of love. He has taken the first step. Now, we can't always be the ones to break reconciling because we're, we're called to work toward it. But we can't always, if the other party's not willing to work with us, then what the Bible says in Romans 12 is that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This means you're putting a no loitering sign on your heart to anger. Then Jesus tells us not to drag our feet, right? Not to be overly passive in this process. Verse 25, it says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you that you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is that when we recognize anger in our hearts towards someone, anger that will end up in destructive realities, if I try to ignore it, if I try to stuff it, it will just, it won't go away, it will fester, and it will take root, and eventually... The Bible says your life will become embittered and you will suffer and your relationships will suffer. So there needs to be a sense of urgency when you recognize anger. And you need to sit and let Jesus talk to you in those moments to help you evaluate what type of anger is this. Is this the kind, Jesus, that you want to come and grab and unroot and what... What are the steps that I may need to take? Because not every situation demands exactly the same response by you. 
But that's why you have to be walking with the Lord and He wants to guide you in these processes. You see, the book of Psalms reminds us about this whole concept of both internal and interpersonal reality. Because in this idea of religious things, God says in Psalm 51, uh, David, is, this is his great psalm of repentance to the Lord. He says, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not uh, take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is the heart of the matter. And here's what I want to offer as a final word. I learned this from a friend who was in an organization and occasionally their team would get together and they would have unpacking the camel sessions. Unpacking the camel. You know the expression, the scrawl that broke the camel's back, right? That comes from episode after episode after episode of things not being dealt with, slights being ignored, and this sort of thing. I realize you can't deal with all those little things along the way always. But there always comes something up, and it's not real big. But when it's placed on a heavy load that is at the breaking point, all it takes is a small little thing as light as a piece of straw, and you drop it on the camel's back, the camel breaks, and everything falls apart. So these this team would get together periodically, and they had unpacking the camel conversations. And it was the idea of offloading some of these things in, in their relationships with each other in a healthy way, a redemptive way, often a, a self often it was, you know, I realize this is my issue. <laughs> Not even your issue, right? And so they, they would have these unpacking the camel issues and, and conversations together. So perhaps maybe you need to have some of those with some people in your life today. Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's at work. But I just invite you this morning to think about if, and to pray about, is there somebody that you need reconciling with? Is there someone that there is anger, and as you sit and examine that anger, you realize that it then goes undealt with, un, unprocessed in your heart with the Lord, that it will cause a scorched earth pathway in that relationship. And if so, God wants you to take that conciliatory spirit that he's already dealt with you with and to turn it loose in that relationship. So, my other question is this. If you've never understood what it is to be reconciled with God, to be at peace and in friendship with the living God, this is the day that you might do that. If you've never understood your own personal sin, if you've never turned away from that and embraced Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the centerpiece of my life and every other aspect of my life now is going to be tethered to you and informed by you. That is where your life will be at its fullest. If you've never done that, I want to invite you today to make that happen. You can come. I'll be standing out outside the east exit. You can talk with me if you're part of a small group. Talk to your small group leader. There shouldn't be anything embarrassing or shameful about this, even if you've been part of the church for years and years and years. The tragedy would be in knowing and sensing God's Spirit working and calling you to His side, and you, out of fear or embarrassment, doing nothing in response. So as we pray, Steve's going to come and play for us. I just invite you to ask of the Lord, if there's any 
anger that needs to be dealt with in your heart today. Living God, we thank you for this teaching. We thank you for this reminder about anger and its destructive consequence if it goes undealt with in our lives. And you've given us a pattern for doing so. You, you invite us into prayer like this so internally, inwardly, you can shape and work on us. You can help us identify and recognize anger and help us process what kind of anger is it. And then, God, you set us free to go to the people. You empower us and give us wisdom in going with humility to the person for which I have anger. And you guide us into that conversation. And so, Lord, reveal to us, as far as it is up to us and we are able, help us to live at peace with all people so that your church might be built and your kingdom, your kingdom of love, would be a beacon and a drawing point for all in our community. We pray, Jesus, now. Help us.